Monday through Friday, Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Walters is the place to be during the Phillies series. And if you're looking for a great place to watch the Wizards playoff push with friends. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The pause, the kick, and here it comes. Swinging a ground ball, base hit into left field. The game is over as Wade scores. And the Yankees have beaten the Nationals this afternoon with a walk-off win in the bottom of the ninth inning. They take two out of three in the series, and it's a couple of rough ones for Brad Hand, their closer. A blown save yesterday, and he'll take the loss here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And welcome to Nat Chat for Monday, May 10, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, a second consecutive frustrating series for the Nationals off the sweep of the Miami Marlins. Nationals swept by the Atlanta Braves in three games at Nationals Park and now lose two of three at the New York Yankees over the weekend. The big 11-4 victory on Friday night, but then back-to-back one-run walk-off losses, 4-3 in 11 innings on Saturday, and now this 3-2 loss on Sunday afternoon. A bad weekend for Brad Hand, another frustrating weekend for the Nationals and what has so far been a frustrating 2021 season. They very easily could have swept that series. I mean, they were in position to do it. They could have won a couple of games against the Braves as well. This could be a completely different story right now that we're talking about instead of them being at 13 and 17 and scrambling again. And, and I know you're not going to win every one of these 50-50 games at the end that are tight and it's going to come down to a couple pitches or a bounce here or there, but they were very much in position. And I'm not so sure that the best people were put in position to try to win this particular game. We'll get into the details of this one, but I thought you never know how it's going to work out, but I questioned some of the decisions here late in this game about who was out there with the game on the line. Yeah, let's get into that uh, momentarily here. It was crazy in a few ways on Sunday. So first of all, the last time you and I spoke on this podcast, right, we are singing the praises of the Nationals bullpen like crazy. And sure enough, what happens over the last two games, the bullpen falters. And I guess more specifically, Brad Hand falters. I mean, Tanner Rainey won great in the loss on Saturday, but Hand really was the thing over these last two games. The other thing on Sunday was the walks. Nationals have one walk the entire game. The Yankees have 10. You know, it's hard to win in baseball when you issue like, I don't know, five or six walks. Nationals pitchers overall issuing 10 walks on Sunday. I know some were intentional, but man, that was a jaw-dropping number to see in that game. When your opponents are out walking you 10 to 1, like 10 times 
the amount that you walk, that's going to be tough to win a game. I agree. And yet there they were, that they did have a chance. And you know, it's testament to how Joe Ross pitched his way out of some tough jams. He clearly didn't have his best stuff, but he, he got through it. Austin Voth was really stepping up in some the first time we've seen him in like a high leverage spot like that. And he got himself into trouble, but he got out of it. But the two walks that really defined this game were Brad Hand to open the bottom of the ninth. And I wasn't on with you yesterday. I didn't do the recap of Saturday's game, and I've only seen the highlights of that game. But boy, it kind of looked similar, did it not? I mean, you could tell the first batter that he was out of whack and didn't have his command. And I gather that was the same thing on Saturday. And that does make you concerned that something's not right with him because he had been fantastic. Nine straight appearances without an earned run to start the season. And now all of a sudden, back-to-back days where he just didn't look like he had it at all. No, he didn't. And, you know, I know there was some talk coming out of the game on Saturday of, well, maybe Daniel Hudson should have stayed on to close out that game. And I don't know. I mean, to me, hands your ace reliever. He's your best guy in theory. He certainly had been very good up until that point. I didn't have a problem with Davey riding hand like Davey ended up doing on Saturday, including bringing hand out for that second inning. And I didn't have a problem with Davey going back to hand on Sunday. And no, he did not look right at all. He looked like he was having all kinds of problems finding the strike zone. I mean, I know on Masson, there was some conversation about like hands having a hard time finding his footing on the mound, maybe because of the rain. But of course, everyone was dealing with the same mound. You know, the mound wasn't a problem for Max Scherzer on Saturday. That's for darn sure. The mound wasn't a problem for some, you know, for Austin Voth on Sunday, that kind of a thing. So I'm not sure how much that really can hold water in terms of an excuse for hand. I don't know. Um, he didn't look right, though. That's for sure. And like from the get go, he didn't look right. Like you were kind of holding your breath, especially on Sunday off what we saw on Saturday. As soon as he comes out there, he begins things by issuing the back-to-back walks of Tyler Wade and Aaron Judge. You were like, here we go again. And sure enough, that was the case. And that's why I questioned putting him in there in the first place. Now, go back to Saturday. As it was playing out, and I'm I'm following it on my phone, and I see the Yankees have their big three right-handed hitters coming up. And that's why I thought, maybe leave Hudson in the game to face them. I didn't have a problem with hand-facing them. He's obviously their best reliever in the big picture. And even though he's left-handed, he's very good against righties. So I understand that. You know, I think it would be an interesting dilemma. And and we've been kind of wondering all along, when it comes to Hudson and Hand, if the matchups, say, have lefties coming up in the eighth and righties in the ninth, would Davey flip-flop it? And I think that would make sense. Now, he didn't do it in this case. And obviously, it's not. there weren't lefties up in the eighth, so it wasn't really a factor there. But I, I think it's interesting that Davey was asked before the game basically about this. And he said that Brad Hand is his closer, unless he cannot pitch on a given day because of being overworked or whatever else, in which case Daniel Hudson would have the ninth. Otherwise, Brad Hand's going to have the ninth no matter what. And I'm a little surprised by that because of the lefty-righty thing, because they do have someone who has experience doing it and has shown that he can be good at it, even if Daniel Hudson doesn't like to think of himself as a closer. I was a little surprised by that. And so Fast forward to Sunday afternoon when Hand was coming off the ragged performance the night before. Hudson had warmed up at some point earlier. Hand also was warming up in case they took the lead going to the bottom of the ninth. They didn't score. So now it's a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. And who's coming up? Well, it's a lefty in Wade and a lefty in Gardner. But he had to know that Aaron Judge was on the bench waiting to pinch hit. So by putting Hand in the game, he guaranteed Judge would pinch hit. And so now he's going to have to face the big righties again, Judge LeMahieu and Stanton. And that's why I thought because of how shaky he looked on Saturday, because you knew the Yankees were going to have the big righty hitters again coming up, because Hudson had already warmed up and so he's ready to go, I thought this was the time to use Daniel Hudson in the bottom of the ninth of a tie game. It didn't work out, didn't go the way they all wanted it to, 
and who knows what would happen if Hudson had pitched instead. But I do question the use of Hand in this game. I guess I would say this. So, I mean, it's not like Hand has been totally ineffective against righties over the years. And in fact, he was really good against them last season. I think also, like, if you're just asking bottom line, who do you trust more given each guy's track record, Hand or Hudson? I mean, the answer is Hand. Hudson has been a very up and down reliever in his career. Like, the 2019 Daniel Hudson, you could argue that's more the exception than the rule, like in terms of the career that he's had. So if he's in that place right now, then yeah, I mean, I I don't think what you're saying is like, you know, nonsensical or anything like that. But I kind of do think, okay, hands your ace reliever, like he's your guy. He's shown a proclivity for getting both righties and lefties out. He had a bad game on Saturday, but as long as like he's not dealing with something physically, I don't have an issue going to him again. It's incredibly disappointing that he pitched poorly again. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, assuming he's not dealing with something, this is what he's here to do. And, you know, it's not like he's been leaned on a lot. Like, I mean, I've talked about this. Sometimes you like you forget hands on the team. They don't go to him. There have been series in which you have not seen him. So like here you have a big series at the Yankees, like go ahead and ride your horse. And unfortunately, the horse fell apart over these last two games. Uh, There's no question about that. I don't disagree with what you're saying. And I think what it really boils down to is an argument over trusting the big picture track record versus trusting what you've just seen in the last 24 hours. In the big picture, obviously, Brad Hand is more reliable, both to start this season and going back to last season versus Daniel Hudson. Hudson has looked pretty good lately and especially looked good on Saturday. And Hand, like we said, really looked off on Saturday. You know, it's one thing if he had blown that game, you know, on a couple little dinks and doinks and well, he made a good pitch and just got beat on it. But I mean, like we just outlined, he was way off from the get-go on Saturday and he threw 29 pitches. So that to me is the context for which going into today's, I'm saying, man, I don't think he's the right choice here, especially given the hitters coming up, the same guys that he had to face Saturday. Now, here's the other part of the equation Davey mentioned after the game. I, I said that Hudson had warmed up and that Hand had warmed up in case they took the lead, which they did not because they would have the lead. Now it's the bottom of the ninth. So he's going with his closer. Because of the workload on Saturday, 29 pitches, Davey said he did not think he could warm up Hand then not use him and expect to use him again later in the game if it went to extra innings. He wasn't going to do that to him. That's too much workload. So he said once they got him hot in the bullpen, he was going to have to come into the game no matter what. So I get that. These are the little intricacies of bullpen management. It's not as simple as just saying, why don't you use this guy or that guy? It's about the warm up. It's about not burning guys out over the long haul. It's not just appearing in a game. It's how much work they're doing to get ready for that. And you can only use them so many times. So that's some more context to it. But I felt like based on what we had seen from him on Saturday, that maybe it was best to not put him in a position where you were going to have to call on him at the end of the game like this, given who was coming up in the lineup. It certainly was painful to see this. I mean, you lose a game Saturday in which Max Scherzer pitches his tail off. You lose this game on Sunday, which, you know, obviously you didn't get as good of an outing from your starting pitcher, but you're in position in theory to win it. It's obviously close, you know, and you can't come through with the victory. Now, while we're talking bullpen, I mean, it it was, there was a lot good with the Nationals bullpen again on Sunday. Sam Clay comes into the game, bottom of the sixth, runner on first, nobody out, gets three outs, strikes out Mike Ford, that induces the inning ending 6-4-3 double play off the bat at Clint Frazier. We referenced what Austin Voth did, two scoreless innings. His scoreless bottom of the seventh comes despite giving up a one-out double to Brett Gardner, then issuing a one-out full count walk to DJ LeMayhew, but another key double play in that inning, Voth getting Stanton to ground into an inning-ending 4-6-3 double play. So 
you know, we see these guys deliver. I mean, maybe as the season goes on, you see even more of both in, say, high leverage spots, but two scoreless innings from him again on Sunday. That was good to see. Clay really continues to emerge. So, you know, the weekend, it's, it ends up being a mixed bag for the bullpen, very much so, but there were some good things to chew on throughout the series with the pen, including on Sunday. I thought that was a big show of faith in both to have him go two innings in a big spot. And he was working pretty hard to get through that and facing some tough hitters, and he got out of it. It was a little dicey there at one point. So props to him. I think that can be a big stepping stone for him. He's never been in that position before, late in a game that's tight like that. So we'll see how he handles it. Sam Clay continues to be someone who looks like he can come in and get out of a jam that someone gets him into. So that's good. Kyle Finnegan looked good over the weekend. And obviously Hudson in in the appearance that he was in there. So I'm curious to see as this plays out, are we still ultimately looking at a, you know, if a starter goes six innings and they're up a run or two, is it clear cut, rainy, Hudson hand, or are Finnegan and Voth starting to creep their way into it? How does Will Harris figure into the equation? I think there's going to be some interesting questions for Davey moving forward, and maybe not questions that he would have anticipated he'd be dealing with because he thought he had it all set at the back end of the bullpen, and some others have stepped up to suggest that maybe they deserve to be uh, in the equation now. Yeah, and it's nice to have that as an issue, of course, so long as the guys who you were counting on do perform. So Brad Hand now becomes someone to watch here of, is this just a two-game slump, or are we going to see more from him? Got to get Will Harris on track, too. He didn't look particularly good, albeit in garbage time in the Nationals' win at the Yankees on Friday night. So we'll get to the offense in a moment, but while we're talking pitching, Joe Ross has the start on Sunday afternoon. Two runs in five innings, seven strikeouts. You look at that, you say, hey, that's quite good. You know, you take that and run with it. Uh, Only gave up three hits, too. The five walks are the thing, and he labored. I mean, he had just one clean inning. He threw just 53 of 97 pitches for strikes in the game. I don't know. It's kind of one of those outings. It feels like we've had a bunch of these here lately where it's like, it's not bad. You can certainly work with it, but there were some things that were troubling, and you know, it certainly was not a dominant outing from Joe Ross. I think he got away with a lot in this game. He was up in the zone a lot more than he should be for a guy who throws sinkers as his primary pitch. And I think he knew that. He was falling behind the count because of it. I think he left some pitches over the plate that the Yankees did not connect. This Yankees team, as imposing as it looks on paper, has not hit the way they're supposed to collectively. If they're going better, this may have been a totally different story in this game, both for Ross and for Voth, who maybe got away with some pitches over the plate that the Yankees didn't connect on. But I think there is something encouraging to take from it if you're Joe Ross, which is even on a day when you don't have your best stuff, when your command is not there, you still got through it. And compare that to the 10-run outburst he suffered earlier in the year and other times in his career where maybe he hasn't been able to gut his way through it. I think that's an important stepping stone. You're not always going to have it on any given night. And when you don't have it, can you find a way to get through it and still give your team a chance? And he absolutely did that. Now, I thought once he got through the fifth, he finished strong there. After giving up the run in the third, he retired eight of nine and one, two, three, four, five strikeouts in that stretch. So he leaves the mound at the end of the fifth, and he's at 90 pitches in a one nothing game. And I thought it would have been okay to pull the plug right there. I get it. It's a one nothing game. You don't have to worry about the pitcher spot in the lineup. It's nothing like that. Maybe you want to try to get more out of him. But I think it would have been okay to pull him there. And what happened in the sixth? Falls behind 2-0 to Glaber Torres, gives up a bomb of a home run, and then walks Gary Sanchez on four pitches. So he ends up throwing seven pitches in the sixth inning. Six of them were balls, and the one that wasn't a ball was a home run. And who knows what happens after that and and what the Nats do offensively, because they were struggling all day. 
But that one run was pretty significant. And on a day when Austin Voth was available to go multiple innings, I kind of thought maybe that was a time to let Voth get a clean inning, tell Joe, good job, you got us through five, that's okay. And instead, he ends up staying out there a little too long, gives up a home run. Yeah, I, I think with a guy like Ross, you really do have to err on the side of caution and just be like, look, he's probably one of these guys who, you know, it's five and dive. Like after five innings, you know, you really don't push it with him. You know, not everyone is built to go six, seven, eight innings per start. I don't know that Ross is one of those guys who is. I'll say this about Ross, though. You know, I was, I was looking at some of his numbers after his start. So if you take out the blow up outing, which I know you can't do, but let's go ahead and do it for our purposes here. You're looking at five runs allowed in 27 and a third innings. That's a 163 ERA. So we had that awful start, that 12-5 loss to St. Louis at Nats Park back on April 19th. But with the exception of that one outing, he's pitched to the tune of a sub-two ERA in his other starts, his other five starts. Like If you just kind of bottom line it like that, that's pretty stunning that he's done that for the Nationals so far this year. He has been their second best pitcher behind Max Scherzer, second best starter, no question. And it continues to be one of the most important developments of the season to date. And so, you know, get another reason that you say, hey, maybe get him out after the fifth and hey, left on a good note and feel good about going the next time out. Over time, you can maybe push him. Or on a day when he was sharp and you weren't saying, ah, he's kind of, you know, getting lucky to get through some of those innings without more damage. But at 90 pitches after five, that was a high stress 90 pitches in a tight game, you know, I thought there wasn't really the need to push it. But no, in the bigger picture, absolutely. He has been one of the most important developments for them this year. And I think we're getting to a point where you have to say this isn't a fluke, that the 10 run game was the fluke, and that the rest of it can be who he legitimately is. Yeah, no doubt. Overall, he's done a nice job. Not dominant or anything like that. Nobody's saying that. But in terms of, you know, a guy who didn't pitch at all last year and had dealt with injury and ineffectiveness in previous recent seasons, that he's given the Nats what he's given him so far, definitely a positive on the season. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Nats are off on Monday, but the Wizards are at the Atlanta Hawks. And given the way recent Wizards games have been going, how about playing the over on that one? There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. 
Rachel uses all her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. One ball, two strikes. The pitch to Schwarber. Swinging a long drive to right. If it's fair, it's gone. This one is way back there and into the upper tank. A second deck home run has tied this game. Kyle Schwarber with his third of the year brings in two. It's dead even now. The Nationals two and the Yankees two. A long home run for Schwarber. So, Nationals offense. You have the very good performance on Friday night, but overall, the series ends up being another one of these frustrating series for the Nationals offensively. The back-to-back one-run losses, you know, a good bit of the power kind of went away over these last two games. And while you had some guys who did some things, like overall, it, it was not a series where you come out of it feeling great about the offense. Like we're still kind of in that same spot of, well, this guy did this and that guy did that. But like overall, you're not getting what you want to see. Two questions I want to ask. Why was Juan Soto back to being the DH on Sunday of having started in right field for the first time since coming off the injured list on Saturday? And why in a series in which you play in an American League park, does Ryan Zimmerman only end up starting one game? I thought that was one of the benefits of playing at an AL park, that you could get Zimmerman in the lineup more. He ends up only starting one of the three games. Excellent questions, Al. Um, The answer to the first one. This was planned that Juan Soto would DH again in this game and not play the field back-to-back days. Davey Martinez said that he came out of the game well on Saturday, but they had decided not to push it too much. Get him one game out there, see how it goes. Now give him a chance to DH. The team is off Monday. And then Tuesday, they're back home, and now they're playing National League teams for a while again. So the plan is to have him in right field on Tuesday, and then they hope that he can stay out there moving forward. But he admitted there may be days they have to monitor him and maybe decide, you know what, we're not going to put you out in the field every single day. You may have to come off the bench a few times. So he's not totally past this injury yet, the shoulder issue. They are concerned enough to be monitoring him and not just treat him as though everything is is good again and he's going to play right field every day. 
So the domino effect of that, like you said, is that Ryan Zimmerman and Josh Bell cannot both be in the lineup. Now, on Saturday, they all got in there because Soto was in right field. On Sunday, there's only a spot for one of them, and he went with Bell over Zim, and I'm not so sure that was the right move. Again, Zim has got to start playing more. We are now a full more than a month into the season, and Josh Bell, I know he doubled in the seventh inning of this game, and that was a good at-bat, but his first two at-bats, he looked awful. Two strikeouts, one of them, his helmet came flying off as he chased a uh, changeup way down and away. And up to that point, so he homered, remember, on Friday. From that homer up until the double on Sunday, he had gone 0 for 11 with seven strikeouts. So every time we think, oh, he's, he's maybe getting out of this thing, he's hitting the ball hard, there's a good result, he is not showing that he can consistently do this. Ryan Zimmerman has shown he can consistently hit, even when he's not playing every day. I don't think it's time for him to be the everyday first baseman, but on a, a series finale against a tough opponent where you've got a chance to win a series and you've already used up your DH with Soto, I thought this was a day to get Ryan Zimmerman back in the lineup and let him back clean up behind Soto and then have Bell come off the bench. And then on top of that, Zim never even got into the game as a pinch hitter. And they get to the ninth inning and they're facing Araldus Chapman, the best lefty in the game, in a tie game. And Davey let Kyle Schwarber face him, the lefty with a runner on base and one out. And so I asked him afterwards, he was saving him to hit for Yadiel Hernandez, who was one batter away. They never got to him. But yet again, we keep talking about this. You've got your ace in the hole, pinch hitter, trying to find the best spot for him. And they're holding him for a spot that never comes up. I thought you had to be more aggressive there. Get Ryan Zimmerman into that game somehow, especially when it's tight late. So 100%, my thinking was maybe Zimmerman was ailing. You know, Zimmerman had that great diving effort on the one-out bloop single by Aaron Judge into no man's land in right field in Brad Hand's appearance in a Saturday game. So I was thinking maybe Zim came up banged up, and that's why Zim wasn't out there. I thought it was so peculiar that Zimmerman wasn't in the lineup on Sunday, at the very least wasn't utilized at all on Sunday. And like, I just take a step back and I look at the series big picture. Like the whole point of this was series at the Yankees, American League Park, you can use both Bell and Zimmerman game in, game out in theory. I mean, depending on Soto's injury situation, it's like you only end up doing it once. It's like you wasted an opportunity to play Zimmerman. And Davey, at times this season, it has felt like he has gone out of his way not to play Zimmerman which is so strange. He's been arguably the best hitter at bat for at bat on the team for a team that is not doing well offensively. Why you wouldn't deploy him more is so strange to me. That's why I keep kind of coming back to is Zimmerman dealing with something that we're just not told about, you know, and and Davey just isn't saying anything about it because otherwise it really doesn't make a lot of sense and it's really not defendable. It's always possible there is something going on, especially with him because we know what he's dealt with over the years and they haven't always been totally forthcoming with it. So I get that if that was the case. And that diving play, I did see the highlight of that one. That was as all out as you'll ever see him go for a ball. And he almost made it. That was a tremendous effort on that play. So maybe that has something to do with him not being in the lineup on Sunday. But Davey said that he would have hit for Yadiel Hernandez in the ninth. Now, you know, on TV, you can't see who's in the on-deck circle. So I don't know. I never saw whether he was out there or not, but he says he would have been. But they continue to let Kyle Schwarber face lefties in big spots. And I just don't know if that's the way to go. Now, I suppose you say, well, if you let Zim hit there and then the inning ends up getting to Yadiel Hernandez, you don't really have anyone else at this point. I think it's Andrew Stevenson or Alex Avila. I guess Jordy Mercer would have been the only other one right-handed bat who could hit at that point. But if you're saving him for a particular spot, you better get to that spot. 
and they didn't. And this isn't the first time we've seen that. So I get why he's not playing every day. They need to be careful. It's kind of the same thing as Howie Kendrick a few years ago. You got to keep him healthy long-term. But the more that Bell struggles, you got to think about getting him more starts. And if he's not in the lineup on a given day, you've got to find a way to get him in off the bench, especially in a close game late. Yeah, I think especially with Bell. Schwarber, at least with Schwarber, you can't say he's had success against lefties this season. So I can get where Davey's coming from on that. But the Bell thing really is becoming maddening because, and you just mentioned it, every time he does something great, we're like, okay, Josh Bell, here we go. And it's like, no, it's just like this brief sort of surge. And then you're right back to where you were. And, you know, how many times do you have to have the football pulled out from you, like Charlie Brown and Lucy, where you're just like, okay, it's nice that he did that, but is he going to do it again? And he hasn't. You know, Josh Bell for the series ends up having another bad series for the Nationals. This, this wasn't like some great breakout series or anything like that, even with the few hits that he ended up having. He goes two for 14 with a homer, a double, and seven strikeouts. It's not a good series, okay? Like, people can harp on the homer and the double all they want. Two of 14 with seven Ks in the series. Like, not good. Uh, it's not been good. And while you could still say, well, it's early, and, you know, he's hitting balls hard and all that, and we've certainly talked about that. When you strike out like he strikes out, I mean, you better be generating some hits in those plate appearances in which you don't strike out. And that still is not happening with any kind of regularity. All right. Also offensively in the series. So like Josh Harrison to me was interesting. Big game on Friday night with a three-run homer, but he does basically nothing the rest of the series. And he was a number two batter the entire series. You know, 0 for 9 is uh, Josh Harrison over the final two games. Now he's had a good year. I don't want to kill him too much, but it was not a good series for him as the series went on. Trey Turner, I thought, had an interesting series. So he got some hits, but he hit for no power, nothing but singles, and no walks, you know? So Trey's kind of cooled off here. Like, he's still getting his hits, but he's certainly not on fire like he was earlier. And he's getting, to me, a lot of singles, but not a ton beyond the singles here lately. Yeah, he is not, and kind of still keeps showing the the small margin for error for this team. Like, they're counting on getting some big hits and big moments. And when they don't get them, there's just not enough else there to generate the offense. And you're not going to win with singles. They're really not walking at all. And I'm looking this up right now to see where they are, uh, at least coming into the day. I think they were last in the league in walks drawn. And I'm not sure why that is, because these are generally some pretty patient hitters and they just have not been. So they enter the day with 83 walks 29th in the majors, only the Angels are ahead of them, but obviously last National League. And then they only drew one walk in this game, like we said. So are they getting too aggressive? Are they chasing pitches out of the zone? That may be some of it. They may be trying to do too much here, recognizing what's going on with the team. But you hear from Davey all the time, take your walks, trust the guy behind you that they can get the job done. And maybe there's just not enough trust in the guy behind you right now for that to happen. But Trey Turner should be drawing walks. Josh Harrison should be drawing walks. We know Juan Soto should be drawing walks. Schwarber usually has a good eye and draws walks. So there needs to be more of that. If you're not going to be hitting for power, then you better find as many ways as possible to get runners on base because you can't just win with singles. It's going to have to come from something else. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a theory on the walks. If you're an opposing pitcher, who exactly are you fearing in this lineup beyond Soto and maybe Turner to a lesser extent? You know, so I don't know that these guys are really getting pitched around that much. I mean, it's not an intimidating lineup. With us being in the day-to-day with it and with people listening to this as Nationals fans, it's easy to kind of think, okay, this guy's good, that guy's good. When you compare this lineup to the rest of baseball, it's not an imposing lineup. It really isn't. Like, even if people are clicking, 
it's not an overly imposing lineup. And with the way things have gone so far, you look at it, and at times, I mean, it does look like a 4A lineup, especially when Soto wasn't playing. You're saying to yourself, like, what are we doing here with these guys? I do want to say this. Starling Castro, I thought, had a good series. Uh, five for 11, a double, four singles, and three walks. So there are some walks there. But of course, this is not designed for Starling Castro to be the bright spot. <laughs> That's not how this is set up. Good for him for doing as he did. But you need some big boys. You need some big series. Like, where's the guy with the series in which he hits, you know, three homers and four doubles? You know, that kind of... You haven't had anything close to that from almost anyone so far this year. No, and what's weird is they have guys who are capable of doing that, as we've seen. So why hasn't that happened yet? I don't know the case. I want to mention something else about Castro. Good offensive series. I failed to mention this about the bottom of the ninth. Defensively at third base, he's out there with runners on first and second. After the back-to-back walks, nobody out. And D.J. LeMahieu hits a chopper to him at third. And he tried to turn the 5-4-3 double play. And it was going to be a tough one to turn. LeMay, who runs well, wasn't real hard off the bat. But even if he does turn it, it's a runner on third with two outs. And I thought just watching it in the moment, step on third, get the out. It's the bottom ninth in a tie game. Do whatever you can to keep that guy from getting to third base. Force them to win the game with hits, not with a sack fly or something else, wild pitch, crazy, anything like that. And I asked Davey Martinez about it after the game. He said that's a tough one that, you know, in the heat of the moment, you have to kind of make that calculation immediately that Castro felt like he had a chance of getting the the double play. And so he did it. But if that's me, it's easy for me to say watching it on TV as opposed to being there at third base. I thought that was a case where you immediately just step on the base. You try to throw to first. Maybe you get two. Uh, Maybe you don't, but at least you got the lead runner out. Now, who knows? It would have made a difference or not. Maybe the runner scores on Stanton single anyways. But by not going for the out at third, it guaranteed that a base hit or a sack fly was going to win the game. And they almost, at that point, you kind of knew they were going to lose at that point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's the kind of thing to me, it's like when you are trying to stretch a single into a double, a double into a triple, and you get thrown out. Like, good for you for trying, but you better be right. You better be successful. Like, good for Castro for trying to get the double play, but you better get it. And if you don't, then you're going to have to answer that question of, why didn't you just step on third base and get the lead runner out? So, yeah, no doubt about that. Sunday Scaries CBD Gummies. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. If you're a young professional, entrepreneur, college student, a mom, whoever you are, CBD Sunday Scaries gummies will work for you. I take it before I go to bed every single night, and let me tell you, I haven't slept this well in years. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. So Nationals find themselves now 13 and 17. I mean, you know, 12 and 12 off a three-game sweep of the Marlins, but you lose five of the last six games. Nats now at 13 and 17 on the season. A big series coming up off the off day on Monday. Three games set against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. It'll be an Eric Fetty, John Lester, Patrick Corbin production against the Phils. So no Max Scherzer against Philadelphia. I feel like we're going to say this about basically every series in the division this season. Big series, but this does set up to be that way with the season the Phillies have had so far. 18 and 16 going into the Sunday nighter. Uh, as we tape this year. But, uh, you know, off, especially these last two series, to do anything less than win two out of three, I think would be really disappointing for the Nationals. 
Yeah, I think as we've been saying that these division games are going to be really significant unless one team starts to run away with it, which has not happened yet. It feels like these head-to-head matchups are going to ultimately determine who wins the division. And we don't know if there's going to be a wild card to come out of the East. It's a long way to go. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're talking about that sort of thing. But the way the division looks, if it's not going to take 90 wins to win the East, then there's a decent chance the second place team isn't going to have enough wins to get in either. So head-to-head matchups, no matter when they're facing them, are really important. They don't get Scherzer, but they also don't have to face Aaron Nola. The Phillies' bullpen continues to be kind of a big question mark for them. There could be some games that are there for the taking late. We've seen the the Nationals, it feels like lately now, it almost doesn't matter what happens in the first six innings. These games will all come down to the 7th, 8th, and ninth. And uh, can they deliver in those spots, both their bullpen and their lineup late? They've been good late in games. They have a, a positive, much more positive run differential from the 8th inning on than they do prior to that point. So let's see. But I do think these are important games. Win the first game, set the tone. Don't be playing from behind again, especially coming off these two losses in New York. And um, I'll be interested what eight to 9,000 fans, whatever ends up being, booing Bryce Harper sounds like. We know what 40,000 sounds like. Will the eight or 9,000 have quite the same gusto to it this time around? Because it's been a while since we've seen them. Uh, it has been. You know, you look at the Nationals, they are averaging 3.6 runs per game on the season. And that's got to come up. We can talk about the rotation and we should, and we can talk about Brad Hand and we should, but it can't keep going like this where you got to, first of all, try to win every game by never scoring over the first five, six innings. That's a very hard way to make a living in baseball. But when you're averaging less than four runs per game, that's just really, it's really tough. They got to figure out a way to boost that. And I don't know what the path is to do that. I mean, Juan Soto's back. You know, Soto didn't have a great series, but he's just getting back. So, you know, give the guy a chance here. But that's got to come up. I mean, save for the 11-run outing on Friday night, you look at these recent run outputs by the Nationals, you know, 3-1, 3-2, 3-2. Like, you know, it's not 1964. Like, it's hard to win like that. Consistency. They just need more consistency there. And, you know, thinking back, this has been a bit of a hallmark of this team through much of the Davey Martinez era, where they would have a few big explosions offensively along the way, but day in and day out, you couldn't count on that happening. And so the offensive numbers at the end of the season sometimes look a little skewered. They look like, oh, they're not a bad offense. But when you look at it day to day, it's not consistently there. That's something that has to change. It's got to get better. Like we said, more patience, draw your walks, and more power. You know, you get a pitch to hit, you got to start clobbering these and driving in runs and not counting on three, four base runners and inning to score runs. You're going to have to do it with, you know, one big clout with a, a runner or two on base. Yeah. And don't be afraid to play that Zimmerman kid. You know, I think he's got a future. <laughs> give, give him a few at bats, see what the kid can do. Uh, all right. Before we call it a pod, we do want to note something that uh, our guy Tim Shovers was at on Sunday, and that was a start for Jackson Rutledge, one of the Nationals' top two prize pitching prospects. Jackson Rutledge is pitching for the Wilmington Blue Rocks, the high A affiliate for the Nationals, and had some problems uh, in the third inning, but ultimately three innings, uh, three runs, all of them earned on three hits, four walks versus three strikeouts. But we're going to be chronicling Rutledge and Cade Cavalli throughout the year, so you can follow our Twitter account at Nats underscore chat. And we've said this before, I don't know that this can ever be said enough, but it is imperative that both Cavalli and Rutledge pan out for the Nationals at the major league level. We're a few years away from seeing those guys. We think, you know, it's not going to happen this year, but it matters what these guys do this season. More so than anybody else in the organization. And, you know, it's fun every day now to start getting 
press releases and box scores and updates from all the minor league affiliates. It's been too long. I'm glad to see they're all up and running and that things seem to be going smoothly so far. But I have to admit, I, I look at these box scores for a lot of the games, and these are not names that I, I care a whole lot about. <laughs> There's a few sprinkled in there. You want to see how they're doing. But the two names that I'm going to pause and look at every time they pitch are Cavalli and Rutledge. They are the future. They have invested a lot in these two. They need these two to pan out. So far, so good. Let's see more of it from them. And also, let's see if they do thrive at single A, or are they willing to bump them up at some point this summer to double A? And that'll give you a good indication of how quickly they think they can move up through the system and whether they are you know, an option for whether it's at the end of this year or going into next year or whether we're really looking a few years down the road with them. Yeah, I mean, what we do know is this. With great prospects, they always come up sooner than you think. So these guys could be great prospects. We hope they are. They're not there yet. But if they do prove to be that, then yeah. Think about when you think he'll be up and then fast track that because all these guys always come up sooner than you think when they are good at the minor league level. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well. Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.